welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. I am seeing now that I have spent my whole adult life trying to fight for the soul of Christianity. I, I didn't I didn't realize that was what I was doing, and I certainly didn't realize how fruitless that effort was, but I, I, I gradually came to see what I was doing wrong when I read the book we're going to be talking about today. Problem is, when you fall in love with Jesus and with what he said and with who he was, and you fall so hard that it's only in the heat of that love that you understand what it means when people say that their heart burst for love inside their chest, when you know what that means, it's really very hard to see what Christianity has done to him. And you want to fix it for his sake. But I finally now realize there's no fixing it. Christianity is not based on Jesus. It's not based on Jesus on any level, not on his teachings, on his, on his relationship with the Godhead. The religion insults Jesus by using him as a figurehead. It sees him as a way to claim relevance, but it insists that the most important thing he ever did was to die as a sacrifice. After all he said, after all he was, Oh, my dear God in heaven, forgive us for having treated the greatest gift ever given to us so shamelessly. I hear from many people now who, like me, have lived a good part of their lives as zealous Christians. They especially love and revere Jesus, the genuine Jesus, and they know that Jesus is the greatest teacher who ever has lived. And they've gotten to the point, just as I did, where they realize they can have Jesus or they can you know, stick with Christianity, but it's not possible to hold on to both. And boy, I know how that feels. So does our guest today. Today, we welcome David Howard, who has written a book that you know from its title is one I probably wish I had written. It's called Prisons with Stained Glass Windows, Untying the Bonds of Dogma, Embarking on the Path of Spirit. Is that beautiful? Dave Howard's book is a wake-up call, and it's a literal gift, a gift to the religion that bears the name of Jesus, although Christianity is not going to see it as a gift. It is indeed a wake-up call to Christians, but at this point, the religion pretty much ignores Jesus in favor of its own dogmas and rituals anyway, and nothing is going to change that. So most of all, I think it's a gift to us. Dave Howard has a history quite similar to mine, actually, in that he grew up as a Christian. He expected to enter the clergy, so did I, and he ended up with a secular career. But his love for Jesus and his desire to figure things out have made him a zealous researcher like me. Dave grew up in an evangelical fundamentalist home, so he had a pretty rough start. He became an Episcopalian in college, and for two years he was a postulant. He thought he was going to be an Episcopalian priest. But that future turned out not really to be for him, so he developed a career as a journalist. And he spent his life then, in his spare time, studying religion, theology, religious history, and human consciousness and our survival of death. Does that sound familiar? Basically, that's my story, too. Like me, he was someone with a serious, serious daytime career and a secret scholarly passion. I, when, when The Fun of Dying was about to be published, I had to come out to my, my legal clients and say, explain what I had done. And if the reaction, I never lost one. I have to say, I didn't lose a single client, not at that time. But some of them didn't think it was a very good idea to even talk about that stuff. So um, I, it's hard. It's hard when you believe so strongly in something and, and other people um, don't, they just don't get it. They don't hear the music yet. They will, though. Anyway, so Dave then, many years later, after his career ended as a journalist and he was retiring, um, he, he became um, sort of a teacher of, of this. And it's a very, very important teacher that he was. He ended up writing that book. He had a foundation. He did other things, too. And now he comes to us today 
to talk about the things that, you know, I love to talk about. And I think many people listening now are eager based on emails I get. I think many people listening now are eager to hear people talk about these very, very important things. Dave, welcome. I'm so glad you're with us today. Well, uh, thank you, Roberta. I've really been looking forward to this opportunity because I've admired your work. And um, the podcast, uh, I think, is very appropriate, apropos for um, this discussion because uh, in my book, I um, stress the importance of discarding all that which is false and embracing reality as it truly is. (laughs) And that's your podcast name, Seek Reality. Right. Uh, We have that in common. Um, Except I didn't choose the name. I thought it was a crazy name in the beginning. It came from my guide. And he turned out to be so right. I mean, (laughs) he always is. I kind of hate it that I'm always wrong. But anyway... (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it is now the name is we, we are finally growing into the title of, of the podcast, I think, because we are trying to find seek reality wherever, wherever we can find it. We're trying to find out what is true. And, and thank you for that. Well, uh, there's seeking and embracing reality is is really something that we all need to do. And unfortunately, many of us, at least in portions of our life, have have failed to do that adequately. But uh, hopefully the book uh, will be a guide to point that out and help people to um, reach the reality in their own life. And there's one uh, thing that I, I should mention that as a journalist, uh, I ended up asking people's questions and quoting them. And that's exactly what I did in this book. I don't claim to be a a profound expert on what I'm writing about, but I do quote the people who I think are. And um, I quoted people copiously, and the very first quote in the book really sets the stage for what I uh, am focusing on. And it was a quote from an evolved soul known as Silver Birch, who was channeled for more than 50 years by the famous British medium uh, Maurice Barbonell. And I quote Silver Birch a number of times in the book, but here's that first quote. There are far too many people living in prisons when the doors are wide open and they can enjoy the fruits of liberation. And that's the goal, isn't it, for us to be liberated uh, and know that we are in line with truth and uh, enjoy life. Yeah, and and uh, that's very true. And the title of of the book that of mine that you quote, uh, "Liberating Jesus," also I didn't like that title either. Thomas insisted on it, and now it makes perfect sense because. In a sense, we've kept Jesus in prison, too, in the, with those same stained glass windows, haven't we? Because yes. nobody, nobody talks about what he said, and he insisted that what he said was what was important. Nobody listens to him. It's the most amazing thing, this great big... This great big religion, and they ignore what he says. They, they talk about what Paul said, but, you know, Paul was creating a religion. He wasn't, he, he, Paul was not Jesus. Jesus is unique in all of human history. I don't know. I, I, I just feel as if I've met a kindred spirit in you, someone else who sees Jesus for who he really is. Um, and we all know Silver Birch, so thank you for thank you for quoting him. That's one of the joys of your book. You have a, a lot of quotations there from important people, but, and those quotations I haven't yet ever found. And I use quotations a lot in my books, so I admire yours. I'm going to probably start cribbing a little bit and use some of yours in my future work. Well, thank you, Roberta. Uh, I, I I like to find people and entities that uh, know what they're talking about and yeah. and uh, share that information with other people. Um, the, the title, Prisons with Stained Glass Windows, points out that um, <clears throat> some of those prisons that Silver Birch talked about are, are real. They're mental prisons where people are held hostage by false and warped ideas or teachings. 
Yes. That, that, and, and they're labeled as dogma, and that's the, the subtitle of the book, uh, uh, Untying the Bonds of Dogma. Um, Silver Birch had another quote that I just dearly loved, and I quoted it in the first page on chapter one, where he says, before you learn, you must unlearn. Yes. You must discard all that which hinders your minds from thinking as they should. Thus, your soul and spirit grow, and you are ready for higher knowledge. You learn, first of all, to discard all that which is false, all that which makes your reason revolt, and that which is not in consonance with the love and the wisdom of the Great Spirit. And you, you, you mentioned Jesus. That's what his mission was, was to share the love and wisdom of the Great Spirit. Mm-hmm. And um, your book, Liberating Jesus, uh, was an eye-opener for me, uh, Roberta. I, uh, I gained so much from that. As I was writing this book, I read yours, and uh, I appreciated so much your gracious um, granting of permission for me to quote some of the passages out of there that really fit in so well with this theme of my own book. Thank you. Thank you. for. I was delighted that you wanted to. It was like, yeah, he's going to quote my book. That's sort of a, that's sort of as the way we authors are, as you know, we'd love it if people <laughs> notice our books. But, well, we, we pat each other on one another's back, right? Yes, exactly. But, well, the thing is, you, you, came to a lot of my same conclusions about Christianity. I, we, we focus on different things in our books. You, you focus on what's wrong with the religion. Uh, as I sort of said at the start, and what I meant to say is, I've been too much in love with Christianity still to be as frank as you have been in this book, and yet it has to be said. All these things that you say about Christianity and how terribly wrong it is, and we're not even talking about the Crusades or even going back farther, just just the dogmas and and are wrong and insulting to and I never thought of it that way. You you kind of as as I said, you kind of opened up my eyes to the fact that it's hopeless to try to change it because it's all based it's based in these dogmas that that are not related to anything spiritual. Never mind to Jesus, they're not related to anything spiritual at all. Well, you mentioned earlier the fact that. Uh the church tends to emphasize Paul. Well, there's there's an interesting book um, written by a Jewish scholar, not a Christian, which uh, is called Paul and the Invention of Christianity. Yes. And, um, <laughs> it, 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 really, he's the one that was, uh, was responsible for getting the religion going outside of uh, the Jerusalem area. Yes. And... Um, it's his teachings. Um, some of them are in consonance with Jesus, but most of them are not. It's, he tried to make an eclectic religion out of this, and um, largely succeeded to the point, unfortunately, that churches today are having a hard time finding Jesus. That's right. Exactly. Perfectly said. Um. And, and, but I don't. Don't you think, though, that, that the people you meet who are Christian want Jesus? That's what they hunger for. The words he said, what he meant, how he lived, what he taught about how we should live. Don't you think that that's what people really hunger for who are who go to church? Uh, I do, Roberta, and <clears throat> as you so eloquently point out in your book, and I try to do the same in mine, that. Uh, that Jesus that they want and that they need is is love. Uh, that that was his principal yeah. theme, and um, we all need love, and the world needs love. Um, unfortunately, we're in a very loveless society, I think, in many respects, and the uh, teachings of Jesus could could hopefully uh, change that if people would take them seriously. One of the things that that many spiritual teachers do is tell people how we should think, how we should live, you know, how to make things wonderful. But those teachers don't tell us how to do it. 
one of the things about the teachings of Jesus that, that Christianity has never, never known is that not, Jesus not only said what we should do, but he also taught us how to do it, except those teachings are ignored too. I mean, this process he gives us uh, of being grateful, of learning to forgive perfectly, naturally makes us more loving. It raises our spiritual vibration. It's a, it's a, actually, it, those are laws of consciousness physics. Nobody has known that. But they are, and they work beautifully. And it, this, this all came from the teachings. When you take Jesus seriously, amazing things happen. Well, that's true. <clears throat> and um, it's unfortunate that... Uh, that this isn't so, so widely known. Yes, uh, and very it, 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 because it, it it changes lives. Uh, the church is trying to to save lives, but they're doing it in the wrong way with yes. rules and regulations, yeah. and and uh, talking people down. Uh, there's in the book we I, I speak several times about people who are coming out of particularly conservative or uh, fundamentalist churches like I did, right. uh, they, they struggle on so many different levels. And, and the worst one, I think, is uh, not being able to trust themselves. They feel that they are, because of teachings, that they are inherently bad people. Oh, yes. That they, that they need a sacrifice to save them. Uh, and you referred to that in the intro. Um, these are serious uh, dogmas that they hold that create uh, uh, an assault on their personality. And there, uh, there's a, an army of psychotherapists that are uh, trying to help these people that have been severely damaged by their experience in the churches and and um that's not all churches but uh, a significant number of them there are uh, in the second part of the book i encourage people to search out churches that um have their stuff together in a, a proper way and there are churches that are endeavoring to do things right. But uh, you mentioned the need to uh, help those people who have been damaged. Yes, yes. The the problem with some of them, though, like the I I used to love unity. I I was a member of my local unity church, and I just loved it. But then they started becoming very involved with the teachings of the founders, who were just people. They were they were people who were were uh, trying to. Um, New Thought Ancient Wisdom, they were trying to help people become spiritual in a more open way, but they didn't want to become religious figures. And just in the last 10 years, unity has become obsessed with them and I think lost its way. And that seems to be what happens to all these these movements. They become focused on their own founders as opposed to on Jesus and the other great teachers. It's just very frustrating. Well, you've brought up a very valid point, Roberta, and I share your experience with unity. But um, religion, there's a definition of religion being uh, the the, uh, thoughts and actions and experiences of leaders and spirituality, which is your own experience. And there's there's a big difference there between uh, religion as an institution that honors and teaches its founders and the spirituality that we all need to engage in personally. And that is a inward personal experience. There's a big difference between the two. Very big. Yes, totally. One thing we should mention to everyone is that the first part of this book, which is what we're talking about today, really digs deeply into why Christianity 
isn't going to work, doesn't work, never has worked, which, as I say, I found to be a revelation. I majored in early Christian history in college, which was a few years ago, and um, I haven't much cared about it ever since, although I have some vivid memories of of what, what I was taught way back then. But um, and looking at it again through your eyes, I can see that there's no way to fix it. it we, you can't fix it. It's not even based in Jesus to begin with. It's based a little bit in Paul, a lot in Constantine and the early Roman emperors who were trying to come up with a way to control people, which is why suddenly it matters that we have all these re- these ways to scare people. If you're if you you know you are so you are so evil, you are so flawed that if you don't uh, you know warm the pews every week and put money in the till you're going to hell um that 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 kind of thing is 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 powerful for for running a religion but it's deadly if you want people to grow spiritually and um and anyway so as i was starting to say next time we get together which will be in a few months we're going to talk about the second part of dave's book which is i think going to be very much in in tune with what we're going to be doing now because i'm starting a website which is going to be talking about the same things and so we're going to be able to compare notes he and i and it's going to be great um but it but we do need to do something new and we do get to keep jesus when we do it um, because it's time, actually, that we all took seriously what Jesus actually came to, to tell, told us he came to do. And let's try to give him his chance. He's never had one in 2000 years. Let's give him his chance to, to be the star and, and not just the figurehead. Um, but anyway, that's so we're, we're focusing on what's wrong with Christianity. And, and I, I think that. You know something? I was so sure I was loving your book so much that I was I was not even making notes. And now I'm thinking, what were the things that I thought were most sort of shocking about what you said? And it's it's really more the fact that the dogmas are so important. I guess I never really thought about that. But the dogmas, how do you think this even got started? You know more about it than I do, probably, because um, I I just spent a long time since I was in college. But Well, uh, and I'm no expert on on church history, but I've done a lot of reading. And I think that uh, it goes clear back to the the early days of, of Christianity and the the disciples in Jerusalem were told in in Acts, uh, the book of Acts in the Bible, that they were trying to live their life according to the Jewish religion, with the, and trying to integrate some of this new light that they had received through Jesus, but they weren't interested in setting up an institution. But yet they were still encumbered with uh, religious teachings that really were unnecessary. And a, and a really good example is the, all the discussion in the New Testament about circumcision. Yes. Uh, that, was, that was a religious rule in Judaism that they wanted to continue to keep in Christianity or in their uh, they didn't say, call it Christianity. It was just really a subset of, of Ju- right. Judaism right. Uh, to begin with. And uh, But Paul went out proselytizing uh, people that had never followed the practice of circumcision, and, and uh, he naturally ran into resistance when the church people were saying, well, you have to do this. Uh, that's just an example of of the rulemaking that um, tended to form in the earliest of the days of the church, and unfortunately, the leaders from then on uh, just kept perpetuating that. So the, and I mentioned in the book that there are volumes and volumes of of uh, rules and regulations that have been added on to yes. the faith, and people feel like they have to follow at least some of those, but people are revolting. 
Yes, but people think it came from Jesus, but it didn't. Here's something which which um, in, I've come across in my research, and it's astonishing. Um, there, the, the depictions of crosses, everyone thinks Jesus went around basically immediately after his death or before his death or whatever. The cross is a big thing. Care, pick up your cross and follow me, all that stuff. You know that, that there are some two million, now them, this is from memory, two million um, Christian burials in the catacombs in Rome. Two million, and and over several hundred years, and there is not in the, all those burials a, this one depiction of a cross, not even one. The really? first the first depiction of a cross in, in association with a death was I don't know three hundred some odd uh, A.D. It wasn't a big deal. What they what they did a lot of there were a lot of drawings of Jesus. Um, you know, the good shepherd, and he's got a, a, a goat, a baby goat that he's carrying around his neck, not a lamb. Because the, remember the sheep and goats, um, the whole analogy in that, which is awful, which didn't come from Jesus, that the sheep are saved, the goats are damned and all that. Well, he was saving the damn goats. I mean, it is such an amazing, enlightening thing when you actually look at history, because we we look back and we assume the whole thing. Christianity was born whole cloth. It certainly was not. And what was, though, the case in the very beginning was that they did try to follow the teachings of Jesus. And when Constantine came along and suddenly it became uh, a, a Roman religion, all of that was gone. I mean, that's the part, I think, that shocks me. And and here's my big memory from college. I don't think I've ever shared this before. I had um, my, my advisor, who was probably older than I am now, um, should have been retired. Um, she, she was someone who had really studied the councils, especially Nicaea in 325. I learned about like Nicaea in 325, the first of the first of the two councils held in Nicaea. And it was the first council held by the Romans. And she was still angry about it. This woman carried a personal grudge because she talked about all the things they had removed from the Bible, which we have no way to get back. And and or from the teachings, really, and the things they have added, they had added. I would have no idea what a travesty that was if I if it weren't for I think her name was Miss Corwin, and she was so angry still. And and it's true. I mean, every, they screwed it up royally. The Romans did. They didn't help or save Christianity. They destroyed it. Well, I I agree, and I do mention the various church councils yes. that made that made rulings. Uh, one of the most well-known ones uh, as to which books should be included in the Bible or not. Yes, right. And um, you, you mentioned the, the cross in the burials. I, I think I saw something about that in the news this week. Um, <clears throat> I made a comment in the, in the book, it, it was an aside actually, that some scholars think that Jesus was not crucified on a cross, yes. but just as simply on a stake. Well, yeah. that might explain why there's no crosses in the catacombs, because there, maybe people no knew that. Death either. It, there's no sense of the, the, that his death was the point of anything. He's depicted as very much alive, and he's a um, and he's a teacher. I'm rereading a book. I just started it last night, as a matter of fact, uh, that I have listed in my bibliography in the book. And the title of it is, is written by a Jew, Jewish uh, scholar, When Jesus Became God. And the divinity dogma did not come about until about the fourth century. Prior to that time, Jesus was seen as a divinely overshadowed and an inspired teacher. Yes. Yep. Not as the savior. Right. The saving aspect would be is how you adapt and incorporating his, his teachings, but not a sacrifice. I, I think it, with the, your your analysis of exactly what was known then and what was believed then was really good. I mean, I hadn't um, really thought about that so concretely. 
Um, I talk about Jesus as God on earth, but my knowledge of that comes not from anything way back then, but from my guide who says, oh, yes. And Jesus, Jesus came from the highest aspect of the Godhead. And he's not just some guy who, who showed up and he had a good portfolio. Uh-uh. So I believe and I trust uh, what Thomas tells me. And if that's what he says, then we, we go with Jesus's divine, not not just the son of God. Jesus is God on earth. And he even told me why Jesus came. Um, I don't know that I talked about that in Liberating Jesus. I, I don't really own my life at all at this point, but I'm used to that. So uh, but, but, but nevertheless, the things that you say, I think, are very important for people who are questioning Christianity to understand, because you also loved the religion. You wanted to be a priest. I mean, the, the, it's very the, the people who can, I think, most talk about how Christianity has let all of us down, especially including Jesus, are the people who loved Christianity and wanted to, you know, further and, and, and give life as even more life to Christianity. And, you know, we've really been betrayed so much by the religion. It, it's tragic, really. It is tragic. Um, and I'm a social person. I, I see the benefits of of social interaction in a community of people with shared ideals, which is basically what the church should be. Yes. So many people have their priorities wrong. They put their beliefs over facts. And um, hence, they are swayed by dogma and by misleading statements. Right. And one of the tragic aspects that I mentioned in very, very first chapter is the fact that people know so very little about their religion that they yeah. so-called subscribe to. Uh, the, the scholarship has turned up so much information over the last 200 years, but do the laymen know it? No. Uh, do they hear it in, from the pulpit? No. no. Um, it's it's too bad. But then, uh, again, the people in the pulpit have their livelihood at stake, and um, we right. really can't expect them to be forthright with information about the background of the history of, the, of their religion. Um, I, I guess that's only human. But... Uh, the people who are leaving the church, such as me and many others, many are, others. Are, are are saying, "Wait a minute, uh, this isn't right. Uh, we need to. We're we're avoiding a lot of history and and a lot of information. Uh, take a look at this and and then reevaluate." Yeah. No. It, it's it is it's. The way that the church has betrayed so many, my husband, my dear husband of almost 50 years, um, went to a Catholic, um, a Catholic schools all throughout and a Catholic college. He, if there ever was a devout Catholic, it's my husband. I converted for him. I was a Catholic for 25 years. We raised our children. Of course, now they're not Christian at all because we raised them Catholic. But but the, but the, the tragic thing for me has been watching him only in recent years realize how completely Catholicism in particular has let him in particular down. I mean, the, 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 um, he had, he went to Providence college, which had the best preaching and he wants, he, he just wants good lessons when he goes to, he goes every Sunday, but he wants someone to speak, you know, English and with, you know, in an intelligent way when he gives a, those little short sermons that they call homilies you can't even get that anymore because nobody wants to become a priest or most people don't uh, because they can't get married. They can't have a normal life. What? There's no point to that. That's just a stupid, stupid dogma. And it was originally instituted as a way to keep the money in the church. I mean, the money that was being gathered by the Catholic Church um, would have gone down in various priests' families if they had families. So they weren't allowed to have families. But that's just not Christian to treat people that way. And to, it breaks my heart to see him disillusioned as he has become disillusioned. I try to I try to kind of tell him, what well, they still do this, they still do that. Because it's just, it's very sad. 
Christianity has most betrayed the people who have loved it most, and that is tragic to see. It's so tragic. It is, and I'm I'm online with a number, quite a few different social media groups of these people who have been betrayed, and they struggle. Yes. Uh, and and they the, these social media groups are support groups actually, uh, people telling about the way they're being treated, and uh, the the way they're having struggles internally trying to find out who they are because they've been given this uh, bunk that, yes. that they are not worthy and um, it, it's it's sad but people are responding and they're helping one another because they're not getting the help from the pulpit and they probably won't um, no. the, the numbers that show um the uh, exodus from the churches are alarming over the last 10, 15 years, yes. particularly. Uh, and those people, so many of them, unfortunately, are ending up in the atheist camp. Um, and I tried that for a while myself, but <laughs> I found it I found it very lacking. Yeah. And. Um, I think we see this, though, because we don't believe in the guy with the long beard and the thunderbolts smiting people sitting on a throne. We don't believe in that guy. He doesn't even exist. No. Maybe we're atheists, too, though, Dave. Maybe we are. Well, uh, atheism or arguing about the existence of God, I think, is a a waste of time. Because because you're talking about things that we can't comprehend or even uh, attempt to prove or disprove with any uh, rational explanation. So why why bother with it? Accept <laughs> uh, reality the way it is, and uh, there most likely is a divine source, at least the, the source that, that we can uh, commune with and be enriched by. Um, whether it's God or his, his emissaries, I don't know. But uh, to argue about the existence of God and, and uh, the creation and all that, uh, our science is hundreds of years away from understanding all that. One of the things you do that I think is excellent is you talk about the problem of um, of science, and the fact that it is a belief system, it's basically a, a kind of religion. Um, and you, you, I thought your, what you said about that was excellent. That whole section was excellent because it's so true. And I try to say it, but not, I don't say it as well as you do. Well, I, I believe that sincerely because, like you, I've seen the evidence uh, of our higher self, our spiritual self. Yes. And the universe seems to be much more than what the materialist scientists uh, claim it is. Right. And and yet they are so adamant in their denial of the spiritual uh, nature of reality that they think that uh, anyone who talks about spirituality is is talking nonsense and it's it's not that way it's I, I ran across a quote this morning from Carl Sagan which fits in here <clears throat> he was a scientist of course at Cornell and he says for me it's far better to grasp the universe as it really is than to persist in delusion however satisfying and reassuring um and really, that could be a, a subtitle for, for your podcast. Uh, <laughs> right. Reality as it really is. Right, uh, that's true. <laughs> but so many people are satisfied in, uh, in, in less than what it is. And it's, materialism is so self-limiting. And right. there, there's so much research that has proven that we have psychic abilities that they can be shown in the laboratory 
I, yeah, I speak yes. of telepathy and and um, even precognition and some of these other things that are fringe science, according to some scientists. But there are scientists that are very much involved in those studies, in spite of the fact that their colleagues um, uh, turn their nose up at it. No, it, it's it's, it, it's really very tragic. Um, materialism is a failed dogma. And then people listening are thinking, well, if that's the case, why aren't there smart scientists who are proving that? Well, they can't, because science is an old boys club. There may be women in it, but it's basically an old boys club. In order for you to have a career in science, to be funded, to be able to teach, and so on, um, you have to follow what what the, the, they literally... 100 plus years ago, they called it the fundamental scientific dogma of atheism. Actually, a material, specifically of materialism, but it amounted to atheism. Yes. You could find it in print back then, the whole the fundamental scientific dogma of materialism. And to this day, the, the university departments won't hire you or let you teach if you don't hold to that. The, the peer-reviewed journals won't allow you to publish if you don't hold to that. So you're stuck. If you are a scientist who sincerely wants to investigate, I actually was told once by a young person um, back when I was, would, I was still giving talks, someone came up to me afterwards. He said that he had been a physics student and he had been told when he started his, his um, postgraduate physics uh, education and started talking about this stuff, he had been told by the head of his department that if he wanted to investigate Anything that was not material, he may as well waste not waste his money because he would never get a job. He literally really? said that. Yes, this is how they keep. It's it's like a it's it's like one of the old guilds from the Middle Ages, sciences, and it's going to break. But it's tragic because this has been going on for more than a hundred years, and all the science done in all that time. When you think about it, they've come up with a lot of new trinkets and ways to make our lives easier. But no fundamental. They haven't figured out how life got started. They haven't figured out, you know, how um, uh, where consciousness comes from. They haven't figured out. They haven't, of course, even tried to explain any of the psi phenomena or anything like that. They haven't explained really anything, and they never will because all of it is based in consciousness. And what's especially tragic is Max Planck said that in 1931. That's 100 years really? ago. Well, um, we're, we're talking here about the same thing as what I said a moment ago about not being able to speak the, the truth or give all the evidence from the pulpit That's right. about our religion. Yes! Uh, because you know you've got a job you're you're paid to do certain things and that's what the scientists are doing and they're having to buckle under the ground rules unfortunately there are a number of scientists who have gone beyond that and i think of gary schwartz and and some others that you've interviewed on your podcast yeah. uh that uh have said, fully, I'm going to investigate this anyway because it looks like there's some validity here. And they go ahead and there's no turn out remarkable studies. They, they do. I mean, my favorite, of course, is wonderful Bernardo Castro, wonderful young man uh, who's Dutch. But he can't get a regular job. He should be he should be highlighted at some major university in the consciousness department. He should. He's brilliant. He's taught me so much. But the problem is no one will hire him because of what he teaches, even though it's oh, true. Well, <laughs> I, I've got before me a, a quote from Dr. Rupert Sheldrake, who I quote. He's another one. Yes. He has, numerous times in my book. And he says, uh, although a growing, growing body of evidence from psychic research and parapsychology suggests that telepathy, precognition, and other psychic phenomena are real, materialists still believe they are impossible and that psychical research is inherently pseudoscientific. They and have to say that. And, there, and there's a Cambridge uh, scientist saying yes. that. Yes. 
Oh, he's and, wonderful. He's brilliant. There was one of his ta- TED talks was banned, and if anyone can, if you can find it on the internet, re- listen to his TED talk. The guy is this is Rupert Sheldrake. Everyone, he's brilliant. But the problem is, he's someone else who's off the reservation. And if you get off the reservation, you can't have a legitimate scientific career. Very tragic. We well, only he's, the- he, he's been able to persevere nonetheless. Yes, he has a good career, but it's not it's not the career he should have. He should have a career in a, as a traditional scientist in a traditional scientific department where he would get attention and and uh, people would begin to um, uh, really start to look at some of these some of these things. I mean, the 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 one of the things he says in this wonderful TED talk is there are cosmological constants we know that if, if uh, they were off by even a tiny bit, the universe would either explode or it would collapse on itself, and yet somehow they hold exactly right. Well, is this is the one place? There, there probably are a trillion universes. This is the one place where all those cosmological constants are exactly right. So he did a little research. He went back, our dear friend Rupert. And he found that they've been adjusting them periodically because they keep finding that the little cosmological constants keep minutely adjusting. So so he asked someone one day, um, uh, the, the fellow who keeps track of all this stuff in Great Britain, he, he met with him. He said, why do they keep adjusting? And the fellow said, oh, you found our secret. Yeah. Oh, what do you mean? He said, well, it's not a problem anymore. Well, Rupert said, why? And he said, the, the fellow, this expert said, well, because now we've established what they are and we aren't changing them anymore. So it doesn't, none of this is real. They made this artificial number be the, the number and that makes it okay. It, it, there's nothing new about the notion that they keep adjusting minutely and who the heck is adjusting them is something they certainly don't want to think about. Oh, my goodness. Well, you had a lot of fun, Dave. I've got to say that. Very few people talk about this stuff, and I just love it. it it's a sad state of affairs in the church and in the halls of science. Yes. But things are changing. And, and I like to um, keep my focus in that direction if I can, because just like there are uh, a, a few Rupert Sheldricks in the world who are willing to... Uh, be avant-garde and look into things as they see them. Uh, there's also people in the pulpit that uh, have decided, like I did when I was in college, that what what this is all about is not the way it should be. And they're willing to say that. And sure, they lose their jobs, but um, they, they move on and, and make an impact nonetheless. I'm so glad you have, you're have you optimistic about this. And I think that if you continue to teach and if enough of, if you encourage others, younger people, I'm trying to do that now, to continue to teach as well, um, the, the day will come when, uh, when this dam breaks. And when it does, it's going, to be, it's going to be amazing because the truth is there. It's right there in front of us. It's just being kept from us just temporarily. And I'm so sorry we've come to the end of our time here, Dave. But, but oh, dear. In a few months, and we'll talk about how to fix this, which I think is really especially exciting. Okay, I'm I'm more than happy to do that. Well, thank you for being here, my dear. Consider yourself hugged. And, and um, everyone, I thank you so much for being here today. I've really enjoyed talking to my new friend, Dave. We've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes, and I'm so glad you could be with us. Please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you get what that means, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest is is a Seek Reality favorite, and he's one of my favorites as well. Father Nathan Castle will be with us for the fourth time. My dear, beautiful friend, Father Nathan, is one big reason why I haven't quite given up on Catholicism altogether. Amazingly, that horrible moribund religion encourages this wonderful priest in his work of facilitating the rescue of people who have failed to complete their transitions. Father Nathan has been a Dominican priest for more than four decades. He lives, he works in a community of Dominican men and women serving the University of Arizona in Tucson.
And he's such a beautiful, gentle, and very spiritual man that more than 20 years ago, he was recruited. He was recruited by elevated beings, not in bodies, to do spirit rescue work. The result was his terrific 2019 book called Afterlife Interrupted, Helping Stuck Souls Cross Over. And then he wrote book two a year later of Afterlife Interrupted. And we've had him here twice to talk about the first. This is his second interview to talk about the second book. You know, when I first met Father Nathan, I thought there wasn't much new in this field for us to discover. But then he came along with what he calls interrupted death experiences, perfectly legitimate. He coined the term, and I have to tell you, it's real. It's really real. It's really true. And it's it's just flat extraordinary. And and the man himself is such an absolute delight as a person. So please, please be sure to join us next week. This week, we've been talking with David Howard. He's written an important book, and one with which I think many people listening now will identify. It's called Prisons with Stained Glass Windows, Untying the Bonds of Dogma, Embarking on the Path of Spirit. Like me, David felt called to the ministry, and he entered after that because neither he nor I, I think, really fit with the ministry, frankly, but we got we were called. But then he did a traditional career. He was a journalist, and um, he, however, continued to do this research. And part of what's fun for me in, in reading his book and talking with him is he's done so much research in such a broad field as I have that you begin to be able to see how everything fits together, and it does, and it does beautifully. His book, Prisons with Stained Glass Windows, is the culmination of all that work, all that scholarship, and um if you, like me and like him, like so many others, have come to think of churches as something like spiritual prisons, with stained glass windows, but prisons nonetheless, then Dave Howard's wonderful, comprehensive, and very thorough book is for you. And it's hopeful. Unlike something I would write, which would probably be, I still feel personally betrayed by Christianity, and I'm sorry to say it, it shouldn't be personal. But Dave is saying, look, this doesn't work, but let's start to look at something that does. So I think you would really enjoy his book. As you know, I have a lot of books, too, but frankly, we're out of time so much I can't even talk about them. I do promise, though, that before long, the the, the, um, the book that I have been talking about for two years, The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that Jesus Taught, is up for publication early next year. So we'll have that at last. And if you want to talk about any of my books, or if you want to talk about anything at all, you can always contact me through the green contact block on robertagrimes.com. I do answer every email. So if you don't get an email within about a week or 10 days, then you know you gave me the wrong one. Give me the right one, and I will answer your email. Meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy. Please make the most of this coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in the universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything. <laughs>